So, today, we are back in the Guess What book. You've had a revelation, have you? Yes, we are in Revelation. This time, it's chapter 2, and we're doing a very large section today. It's verses 1 and 2. So, this is a really important thing. And someone said, if you are a good shepherd, then you will teach what needs to be taught. So if you teach everything else but what needs to be taught, then you are failing the sheep. And the main application for today is false prophets and analyzing what is a true and false prophet. And today, I don't think there's anything that could be really more relevant than that with all the false prophets and false teachers circulating around and their immense popularity. And so I'm choosing today to educate and equip you to know what is a false prophet. So this will come up as we go through Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's actually the commendation that Jesus gives to this church. This church was doing this right. But unfortunately, I don't think overall it's been done in the church today. So that's what we're spending most of our time on, but we are going to go verse by verse and bit by bit through this. So as an introduction, these are seven personal messages from Jesus to each of the seven individual churches, and we know that they represent the church in total for all generations. And nowhere else in the scriptures does God or Jesus speak so directly to the churches. We hear God speaking to the nation of Israel, we hear God speaking to individuals, but here he's speaking specifically to churches. And so it's very, very important that we pay attention to what Jesus says to us. Now, each of the seven letters is made up of a four-element pattern seen in each letter, generally speaking. Um, so first, there is a positive affirmation. That is, Jesus finds something good to say about the churches. The second part is there is a corrective exhortation. Jesus corrects something that they are doing wrong. Third, there is an eternal motivation. This is an encouragement to persevere. And finally, there is a partial revelation of Jesus. Jesus reveals a little bit more of himself at the end of each letter to these churches. So let's pray, then we'll read verses 1 to 7 in Revelation chapter 2. So Father, I thank you for the amazing insight that you have given us into church life, the dangers and the pitfalls the blessings and the curses, the things we can do well and the things we can mess up. So help us to learn and help us to grow and help us to see the negative consequences of not doing the right thing and also the positive consequences of doing what you command us to do and being obedient and being pure and holy and following you with a whole heart. So I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, 
These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Remember that represents the churches. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So, Verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? So the angel means messenger, angelos, and it can refer to anyone who's giving a message, and usually it's the pastor who gives the message. So speaking of the leader or pastor of the local church. Now, of the church of Ephesus, this is interesting. I mentioned before that the seven churches describe church history in chronological order and they represent the chronological unfolding of the church age so where does the letter to the church of Ephesus fit in well the church of Ephesus speaks of the period of church history from AD 33 to AD 100 now just think about this by AD 97 the year John recorded this book the church was already a mess. The book of Acts presents the model of the way the church was supposed to function, but Acts only covers a span of 30 years. By the time John wrote Revelation only 60 years later, the purity of the church had been compromised to such a degree that they were in a position to hear the Lord say, Unless you repent, I will not stay in your midst. What this meant was that the church of Ephesus would cease from being a church. Well, guess what? The church of Ephesus is no more. We'll come back to that later. So an important point here is that we can't appeal to church history for practices of doctrine because the church has had problems from the very outset. Those caught up in some of the so-called revivals of today say, or we can't explain from the Bible what's happening in our church. But in earlier days, we read of people barking or shaking or various things. Well, so what if they did? It still doesn't make it right. All you are doing is duplicating our previous church's error. And I've got a quote I like from John Corson. It says, I don't ever defend church history, but I do defend the church as seen in the book of Acts. We need to get our direction only from the Bible because that's where you find safety and sanity. You're always on solid ground if you stick with Scripture. Again, if you want to know what the church should look like, go to the book of Acts, not church history. So that's just a warning for people who like to go to church history and see what they did. 
well, unfortunately, it's not often correct. So verse 1, he says, Write these things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. So who are the seven stars? Well, they are the leaders of the seven churches. Also in verse 1, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands? Well, we covered this before. Jesus is among the church in its entirety, which each local congregation represented by the seven golden lampstands. Seven being the number of completion. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. So this is an awesome affirmation, an awesome praise that Jesus is giving them. He's saying, first of all, I affirm or commend you for staying with the task. That is, you've worked hard. You haven't fainted, given up, or quit. And look around, there's many people quitting today, but these people didn't quit. And the second thing that he really commends them for, and we're going to spend a bit of time on this today, he says, you've rooted out the deceivers who have come into your midst. This is really important. Now, people might say, on occasion, some people will have said to me, don't judge me. Didn't Jesus say, do not judge lest you be judged? Or judge not lest you be judged? And, well, yes, he did. He did say that. But guess what? 15 verses later in Matthew 7, we can read it here. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who will come into your midst as wolves in sheep's clothing. By their fruit you shall know them. So those verses from Matthew chapter 7, it's Matthew 7, 1 and 2 and 15 to 16. I'll just read them. It says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. So what's Jesus saying? I think we need to just explain this a little. He's saying we're not to judge for condemnation. What this means is that we're not to pass condemnation or judgment on people because who's the judge? God's the judge, okay? We leave the judgment for God and for authorities like the police force and and things like that. For example, if someone hurts me, I can respond in a condemning way, in a judgmental way. I might say, because you hurt me like that, because you let me down so badly, you deserve to be miserable for the rest of your life. <laughs> and some people have this condemnation, right? they're angry at that person, they actually do do nasty things to those people. That's, that's judging. So the first part of my sentence was the truth of the situation, I have been let down, and we need to communicate the truth in love, but the next part, you deserve too, is the condemnation. There is no love in condemnation. So the loving thing to do, after being honest with how I feel, is to forgive the other person. So yes, there may need to be boundaries if that person can no longer be trusted and legal consequences if they have broken the law, but I must still let go of my right of revenge. I must forgive. This is walking in the Spirit. Now, we come to verse 15 in Matthew 7. 
It says, however, we are instructed to judge for identification. We are to be fruit inspectors. We won't know them if we aren't looking, if we aren't discerning. So this is about discernment. This kind of judgment is to discern if something or someone is right or wrong. Parents do this with their kids all the time. School teachers do it when sorting out issues in the classroom on a daily basis. How silly would it be if the principal said to the student, I'm not going to do anything about you throwing the brick through my windscreen because I'm not allowed to judge whether it's right or wrong. That's crazy. We have to discern. It's a part of our daily life. And we have to discern in church whether someone is right or wrong. We're not condemning them. We're just saying, are they right or wrong? So in church, it's stupid to just naively accept people's claims and teaching without looking at the fruit of their lives and whether or not that doctrine lines up with the Bible. And this command to test people to see if they are from God or not is explicitly or clearly stated in 1 John 4 verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. So, that's interesting, eh? There are many false prophets in the world. I believe false apostles, false prophets and false teachers and false converts have been Satan's favorite method of spreading deception throughout all the church age. In fact, all history. We see it in the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament, and we see it in the church. Usually, there was only a few or even sometimes only one prophet, godly prophet, speaking for the Lord. However, in contrast, if you look in the Old Testament, there were always many false prophets. And you think of Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. There's one prophet of God versus 450 prophets of Baal, the false prophets. And I believe, and I think I've observed, that the situation, especially in these last days before Jesus comes back, is very similar to what God says about the false prophets and false teachers in the Old Testament. So, therefore, what is said about the church of Ephesus as a commendation, something that they were doing right, the exposing of false apostles, is something that I believe needs to be addressed today, as there is so much deception around. And that's why we're going to spend some time digging into what the Bible says about this. And there's three reasons I'm going to spend time with this. One is, many people are deceived. Two, it's a sign of the times. We're in the last days. We need to know how to deal with this. And I don't think the church overall is doing a very good job at warning people about the dangers of false prophets and false teachers. So I'm just going to put this verse up. It's 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. It says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, or in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. So remember that Satan is a father of lies, while God is a source of truth. So let's jump into the Old Testament and we'll start our relatively quick study of false prophets and false teachers in the Old Testament. So the first verse is Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. Now remember that this is talking about 
people, teachers, prophets, who were in the temple representing God to the people. Okay? This is not a pagan culture. This is the Jewish culture where they worshipped God. Okay? This is temple worship. And so we can apply what's happening here in the temple to what's happening in church. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. It says, An astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? That's a sobering thought, but what will you do in the end? So in verse 31 there it says, The prophets prophesy falsely. They were saying what the people wanted to hear, as the New Testament says, itchy ears. They were scratching them. They were making the people feel good. In Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 10 and 12, God compares these people to a wall built with only soft clay holding it together. Imagine a stone wall held together with soft clay. How easily that would just tumble down. So if you're depending on this wall for protection, it's not going to protect you very well. When the storms come, it's going to fall and it will destroy you. Now, what this means, what God's trying to say, is that the false teachers and false prophets manipulated the people for their own gain, but the people loved it because these false prophets and teachers told the people that they didn't need to repent of their sins. Instead, they could just keep on living their sinful, selfish lives and add God to their lives as like an afterthought, like an optional extra. And I'm going to read a passage from Jeremiah 23, and it's going to show what they teach and the effect of this false message on the people who choose to listen to them. And it describes the type of people who do love to listen to them. So this is Jeremiah so I'm just going to read it straight through, and then I'm going to go back and just pull out some bits from this. It's quite an enlightening passage. This is straight from the Lord. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Okay, So this is teaching straight from God on false prophets. So Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 11. It says, Even the priests and prophets are ungodly, wicked men. I have seen their despicable acts right here in my own temple, says the Lord. Therefore, the paths they take will become slippery. They will be chased through the dark, and there they will fall. For I will bring disaster upon them at the time fixed for their punishment. I, the Lord, have spoken. Verse 13. I saw that the prophets of Samaria were terribly evil, for they prophesied in the name of Baal, and led my people of Israel into sin. But... Now I see that the prophets of Jerusalem in the temple are even worse. They commit adultery and love dishonesty. They encourage those who are doing evil so that no one turns away from their sins. These prophets are as wicked as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah once were. Verse 15. Therefore, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says concerning the prophets. I will feed them with bitterness and give them poison to drink. 
for it is because of Jerusalem's prophets that wickedness has filled the land. Verse 16. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says to his people. Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise my word, Don't worry, the Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, No harm will come your way. Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he was really saying? No. Has even one of them cared enough to listen? No. Look, the Lord's anger bursts out like a storm, a whirlwind that swirls down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not diminish until it has finished all he has planned. In the days to come, you will understand this very clearly. Verse 21 I have not sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I have given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. If they had stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words, and they would have turned my people from their evil ways and deeds. And we just go on to verse 25. I have heard these prophets say, Listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me, just as their ancestors did by worshipping the idols of Baal. Verse 28. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers... Faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between the straw or chaff and the grain. Does not my word, the Bible, burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? Verse 30. Therefore, says the Lord, I am against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim They are from me. I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say this prophecy is from the Lord. I am against these false prophets. Their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. I did not send or appoint them, and they have no message at all for my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. What kind of mood do you think God is in right now? He's angry. He's very angry. His people are being deceived. His people are being deceived. So, I'm just going to pull out a couple of points before we move on. So it says in verse 11, 
Even the priests and prophets are ungodly, wicked men. I have seen their despicable acts right here in my own temple, says the Lord. So, just like in the Old Testament, the false prophets were at home in the temple, well, in the New Testament, in the church, the false prophets and false teachers are at home in the church. The next part I want to look at is, they led my people into sin, in verse 13. It says, they led my people of Israel into sin. So, this is like false religion, but also false prophecy. The consequences of false religion is that it will lead people into sin. Okay, so it's not neutral. And then it says, but now I see that the prophets of Jerusalem are even worse. Now, this is powerful because these are the priests who claim to represent God, who have studied the Bible, and God sees them as being worse than the prophets of a different religion, the prophets of Baal. Verse 14 now. They encourage those who are doing evil so that no one turns away from their sins. So the message of the false prophet or false teacher is one of popularity. To be popular, you must make people feel good about themselves. And therefore, they don't say anything bad about them. Therefore, they don't talk about their sin. Also in verse 14, it says, These prophets are as wicked as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah once were. So, <laughs> despite their nice suits, their nice gestures and smooth talk, God sees their hearts and their hearts are evil. Going on to verse 15, it says, For it is because of Jerusalem's prophets that wickedness has filled this land. So, why is there so much sin in the church? It's because there's false prophets and false teachers. Bad doctrine leads to bad attitudes and bad behavior. In other words, sin is not dealt with. Think about how few churches actually do church discipline as described in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 18. Instead, they tolerate sin and compromise. Okay, moving on to verse 16. One of the things it says there is, Do not listen to these false prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with false hopes. So first the instruction is, Do not listen to these false prophets. Then, what are they doing? They're filling you with a false hope. So here's an example. Their message will make you feel good, but it's like a doctor telling a terminally ill patient that they are well. The patient walks out of the doctor's office feeling great, but it's a false hope. They are trusting in a lie, and they will die. And also, still in verse 16, it says, They are making up everything they say. They do not speak for the Lord. And we read before, what the Bible calls this message, it calls their message the doctrine of demons. Their message is straight from hell. So remember this, what isn't the truth is a lie, and what won't save you will kill you. There's no neutral ground with the truth and the lie. Verse 17. This is a very powerful phrase here, a very troubling phrase. They keep saying to those who despise my word, 
This characterizes the person who listens to the false prophets. The person who listens to the false prophets and false teachers are those who despise God's word. Now, how does a person despise the word of God? Well, it's very easy. It's the same way you despise anything else. You ignore it. You forget about it. You refuse to listen to it. You give it no credence. And generally speaking, someone who remains biblically illiterate is someone who despises God's word. Someone who refuses to read God's word is someone who despises God's word. They're not valuing it. You either value something or you despise it. There is so much said in the Bible about how important it is to read the Bible for ourselves that we are without excuse. Now, also in verse 17, it says, Don't worry, the Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly follow their own desires, they say, No harm will come your way. Wow, this is why they are so popular. Again, they teach that you can continue to sin without any consequences. That to be a Christian, all you have to do is add God to your life without repenting of your sin. And this is often communicated by telling people how good and wonderful they are as they are. No, we're not wonderful people as we are. We need to be changed by God. This is a lie from hell. All right, verse 18. It says, Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he is really saying? What's the most common thing that the false prophet or false teacher will say? I heard from the Lord. Had a vision. God spoke to me through his word. All these things. What does God say? Have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he's really saying? Has anyone, even one of them, even one, cared enough to listen? No. So, another deception. And in verse 22, it says, If they had stood before me and listened to me, they would have spoken my words, and they would have turned my people from the evil ways and deeds. Wow. What a difference. Good teaching leads to repentance. Repentance is what's required for a person to be truly born again. And repentance, a good definition, I think, is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. So like John the Baptist, Jesus and the apostles, our gospel message must include repentance, the turning away from sin. And going into verse 25, part of it says, Listen to the dream I had from God last night, and they proceed to tell lies in my name. Now, have you noticed that in a lot of churches today, there's a big emphasis on dreams and interpretation of dreams? So people are taught that they have a dream, it must be from God, and it must have a meaning. Well, my opinion is that most dreams is just because we have too much pepperoni on our pizza. It's just our imagination running wild. Now, it is possible to have a dream, and it can be from the Lord, but we need to be very careful. We need to confirm that with the Scripture. And in verse 26, it says, By telling these false dreams, they are trying to get my people to forget me. Now, this is a 
big clue as to why God sees these false prophets and false teachers as worse than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're not just evil, but they're trying to turn people away from God. Now, have you ever gone from the bedroom to the kitchen to get something, but then you get a phone call, and then you end up back in your bedroom wondering what it was you were going to get from the kitchen? (laughs) That's a distraction, and a distraction keeps you from focusing on and doing what you first intended to do. The focus on false dreams takes people's minds off God's word and onto themselves. They forget what they initially came to church for and what fellowship with other believers and what being a Christian is really all about. It's getting into the word, encouraging each other. Verse 28 says, Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between the straw, the chaff, and the grain. Does not my word, the Bible, burn like fire? And it goes on. So the word of God is powerful. The word of God is true. The word of God is pure. The word of God is convincing and convicting. The word of God is sharp like a two-edged sword. The word of God does not return void. The word of God is real food. And a true messenger or pastor will only share what the word says, not his own opinion, especially in times when the message is not popular and may cause division and offence. And moving on. In verse 30, they steal messages from each other and claim they are from me. Now, I've noticed with the so-called prophets that are around today, they all seem to be saying the same thing. This is going to happen. And people have told me, look, all the prophets are saying the same thing. All these teachers are saying the same thing. Why? Oh, I think it's just another one of Satan's tactics. It's because it makes a false message sound more believable if more people are saying it. And in verse 31, it says, I am against these smooth-tongued prophets. Mm, Smooth-tongued prophets. The lies are so subtle. They might only be 0.05% of what they say. And then you might say that 99.95% truth is okay. But don't forget that rat poison is only 0.05% poison. Warfarin. Poison is always poison and it will kill you. And then in verse 32, it says, Their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. So after being distracted and deceived, people are led into sin because they've lost sight of the truth. It could be covetousness of people like naming and claiming, all that kind of stuff. It could be legalism. It could be weird practices or any kind of sin. I was talking to someone a few months ago, and he was telling me that he was once a part of a church where the pastor encouraged his congregation to get drunk. He would actually invite people around to his house to get drunk with him. So, just like children will always want chocolate over vegetables, so the unrepentant heart will always like false doctrine that promises blessing without change or without repentance. 
It's just the way our sinful nature is. It's always in rebellion against God. And this is why false prophets and false teachers are so popular. Their message tastes good, but it will kill you in the end. And this includes, but it's not limited to, the prosperity gospel. Other churches have their own false prophet that they get inspiration from and their own ways of manipulating people. Now, some of you might say, oh, come on, Dave, that was just the Old Testament. Things are different now. We are smarter, not so easily deceived. After all, the prophets today are calling for revival, for blessing, for deliverance from pestilence and other disasters. They are calling people to pray for God's blessing in the world. They are so encouraging and accept people just the way they are. So loving. They never seem to point out people's sin and never really stand and cause division and trouble by standing against abortion and homosexuality and fornication and greed and things like that. Well, my response to them would be to reread Jeremiah chapter 23, which I've just been through, and look for the similarities to today. And then I would direct them to Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. Oh, okay. So it's not just the Old Testament. (laughs) This was predicted to happen in the New Testament too, in the church. It continues on. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who brought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow the evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. I am so glad that I'm not a false prophet. I hope I'm not a false prophet. (laughs) I hope I'm telling the truth. (laughs) But, you know, the Bible says that teachers have a greater judgment, a more strict judgment. Yeah, it's a bit scary. So, Second Peter chapter 2, 1-3 to is a condensed version of the severe expose and warning from God concerning the false prophets that we read before in Jeremiah chapter 23. So I just want to get six quick insights. In verse 1, it says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. So we have been warned, so don't be deceived. Remember what Jesus kept saying after he said a parable? He who has an ear, let him hear, yeah? And he keeps on saying it again and again. We've been warned. He said it's going to happen. We can see it happening, so don't be deceived. Also in verse 1 it says, Cleverly teach destructive heresies, and they will disguise their lies. They often won't explicitly teach false doctrine, but will gradually lead people away from the truth. It's very subtle. Also in verse 1 it says, Deny the master. You might say, how can they be denying God if they are talking about God and if they are praying to him? Well, it's just like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Jesus' day. Despite all their long prayers and talk about God and the law, Jesus said that they were not entering into the kingdom themselves and they were preventing people, other people from entering in also. And the verse there is Luke eleven fifty-two to 53 It says, What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? Now, notice again. What sorrow awaits you? There's judgment coming for these people. 
for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. So, the response of the false teachers to people who say, hang on a second, what you're teaching is wrong, is they get hostile, just like people did with Jesus. Nothing is new under the sun. All right, back into Second Peter. In verse 2, it says, Many will follow the evil teaching and shameful immorality. I see these big churches, and I've heard quite a few stories, they just pop up almost like overnight. Suddenly, they get this big building and there's this big church plant, and suddenly they've got 10,000 people or 3,000 people, whatever it might be. And it's incredible how they fill up so fast. But what are they characterized by? Well, they're characterized by either not teaching the word or not teaching it effectively, and they use a host of gimmicks to draw people in. People go there because it feels good. And these churches are popular. And people think that if it feels good, it must be right, yeah? Well, listen to what Luke 6.26 says. I'm going to read it in two versions. Luke 6.26 says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And the New Living Translation says, What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for the ancestors also praised false prophets. So don't judge someone's truth by their popularity. Jesus tells us in John 7.7 that the world hates him because he testifies that its works are evil. We should also expect to be hated by the world if we are doing our job and testifying that the world is evil as we share the gospel and call people to repentance. And again, back to Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. In verse 2, it says, The way of truth will be slandered. This is so true. This was predicted all the way back in the first century, and it's come to pass. Because of the very public nature many of these false teachers, the televangelists, and other false teachers with their massive influence on social media and the world today, and with their obvious, decadent, self-indulgent lifestyles and greed for money, and the huge following they have, Christianity as a whole has been misconstrued as greedy leaders fleecing the flock with a lot of foolish people willing to part with their money. And if you talk to uh, non-Christians, a lot of non-Christians all have that mentality of what Christianity is all about. The way of truth has been slandered. Now, personally, I find it incredible that the unbelieving public are more aware than the Christians are of just how evil and wrong these false teachers and false prophets really are. Why is that? Why are so many people deceived? Well, I believe that the main reason is that there are multitudes of baby Christians who don't know their Bibles very well and are therefore so easily deceived. Churches need to study the Word of God so believers can be built up and grow up. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1-14. He says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. 
We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Notice that? We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Also, there's probably a whole lot of false converts tagging along, enjoying the false positive affirmation and having the ears tickled as well. Okay, one more thing from Second Peter chapter 2, 1 to 3. It says in verse 3, In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. Well, ain't that the truth? Hey? These false teachers play on greed. They promise that if you give to them, God's anointed ones, then you will be blessed materially. And so people give so they can get. And they might use phrases like, sow a seed of $1,000 and you will receive the blessings of Pentecost, or $10,000, or whatever they might say. And I believe people are so easily duped by this lie because it's what the prosperity gospel teaches. Come to God and be blessed. It's not about being saved from eternal damnation because that message is offensive. I mean, who wants to be told that they have broken God's moral law, offended the Almighty God, are headed for hell, that they can never be good enough to save themselves, that they need to instead trust a Saviour, Jesus, to save them from hell? Who really loves to hear that message? Nobody. But that is the message of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. And that's why the road to eternal life is the narrow road and there are few who find it. So, summary. False prophets and false teachers teach a false gospel and get people to trust in false promises and rest in a false hope all to their own destruction. I'll say that again. False prophets and false teachers teach a false gospel and get people to trust in false promises and rest in a false hope all to their own destruction. So to finish talking about these false prophets and false teachers, I want to finish with one specific example from the Old Testament. In Jeremiah chapter 22, Jeremiah tells the people to repent that God was going to judge the land by sending the Babylonian army to invade and conquer them. The false prophets contradicted Jeremiah. They said, no, 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 no. And as a result, the people didn't listen to Jeremiah and they didn't repent and therefore they were destroyed. The false prophets and the false teachers of the day said that because the temple was there inside the city and God dwelt inside the temple, then they were safe and the city would never be taken. Therefore, People who go on living according to the evil ways. This has an application for today. As long as you're going to church, as long as you're worshipping, as long as you're singing the songs, as long as you're hanging out with other Christians, then you're fine. So I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 11. It says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it. All of you who worship here. Who is he talking to? The people of God. Okay? The people in church. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. 
Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans and widows. Only if you stop your murdering and only if you stop harming yourselves by worshipping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, We are safe! Only to go right back to those evils again? Don't you yourselves admit that this temple, which bears my name, has become a den of thieves? Surely I see all the evil going on there. I, the Lord, have spoken. Again, why did the people continue to follow their false prophets? Because they didn't have to repent. They didn't have to change their ways. They could still live their evil, selfish lives and think they were pleasing God because they still attended worship at the temple. And the same is true today for people who go to church. Consider that right until the end, the people were still worshipping at the temple, but the hearts are never right because they never repented. It's like the people who listen to the false prophets and false teachers today. They go through the motions of worship, but the hearts are not right with God. It means nothing. God doesn't accept false worship. The only worship God accepts is from a repentant, humble, contrite and obedient heart. And notice how this passage on false prophets and false teachers finishes with the same words as it does in Jeremiah chapter 23. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is a very important message. So the question is now, will I listen? I have been warned, and now so have you. Will you listen to the warning? Are you willing to warn others? The stakes are high. So at worst, it's people's eternal destiny. At best, it's a life destroyed and made ineffective by being shipwrecked in their faith. Jesus repeatedly warned people about the false teaching of the religious leaders of his day. And you know what the disciple says? Jesus, you know you're offending them. <laughs> Duh. Of course he's offending them, but he's telling people, he's warning people about the false teaching of the day we too need to warn people of the false teaching of the day. And I think I've been pretty guilty of this in the past. I don't really care about those false teachers. I'm going to stay away from them. When people come and ask, oh, so what do you think of so-and-so? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've got nothing to say. Well, we need to be a bit more educated, I think. And tell people, actually, that person, I'll look it up for you if I don't know, but that person, they teach this, this, and this, and doesn't agree with the Bible here. We need to warn people. We can save them from a lot of heartache down the track and maybe even save them from hell. I'm not going to go into it now, but if you go to Deuteronomy 18, it tells you how to determine if a person is a true or false prophet. If they say something wrong just once, if something doesn't come to pass just once, 
then they are not a true prophet. So if we, as pastors, only teach the word, but don't warn the flock about lies and deceivers, then we are just simply fattening people up for the kill. It's like people get saved. A lot of people in cults are baby Christians who have been taken away. So part of the job of parenting, okay, so not just a pastor, but every man is a pastor of his own home. Part of the responsibility we have and of any believer is to warn other, especially new believers, about the perils of false doctrine and false teachers. So I love you guys and I want to protect you from being used and abused by these deceivers. So to finish off, remember what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of actions or behavior. It starts from the inside. And I think it's important that we get an understanding of what true repentance looks like, of the attitude or heart that a truly repentant person has. So just to finish off today, I'm just going to read a few verses that talk about what a repentant heart looks like. And so you can meditate on this and think about this as we go. So the first one is Psalm 34, 18. It says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Then there's Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant or contrite heart, O God. Isaiah 57.15 For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite or repentant ones. Isaiah 66 verse 2 This is one of my favorite ones. For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. So, this is an exhortation that we all need to listen to. May we be those who tremble at God's word. We read it, we meditate on it, and we obey it. If we do, we will not be deceived like those who despise it. See the difference there? Those who tremble at his word are those who are repentant. If you don't have much of a thirst for God's word, it means you haven't repented or you need to repent. You need to soften your heart. Having a repentant heart means a soft heart, a broken heart, a broken spirit. And last one, the part of the Beatitudes in Matthew Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 8. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. That's mourning over their sin. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, seeing God... You need to be pure in heart, which all starts with repentance. It's a soft heart that's turning to God away from sin, away from our own self-reliance, away from doing things our own way and doing things His way. 
Often it doesn't change what we do, but it changes why we do it. So just remember that the road to God is a low one. It's a life of self-denial and repentance. But God will comfort us and fill us with a joy and satisfaction that this world knows nothing about. Remember that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. We can either take the easy road and experience the temporary pleasures of the world, or we can go through the painful process of humbling ourselves and experience eternal fulfillment of a much greater magnitude and eternal. So the choice is ours. Father, I thank you that you have given us these very clear scriptures about false teachers and false prophets, and we know that there's so many around at the moment. Lord, there's always been many, but it's just more than many at the moment. It's just so many. So I just pray that you'll help us to be aware of what's going on and we can effectively teach and warn other people, especially new believers, especially new converts, Lord, as we disciple them and teach them your word so they they will not be deceived. Lord, help us to tremble at your word. Help us not to despise your word. Lord, help us to, like Job said, I treasure your word more than my necessary food. Lord, I pray that before we get up, before we do anything in our day, that we'd be reading your word first. So I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the blessings that it gives us, all the benefits that it loads us with. And I pray that you help us to really prioritize the reading of your word because that's the start of everything. And also prayer. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.